With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. With reports coming in over the weekend that every single running back is either injured, holding out, or both, we have wild shakeups to the ADP landscape. We are joined today by special guest, JJ Zacharyson, to break it all down. This is ADP Chasing. Let's go. Pat Fryer Helmo. <laughs> this is what? This is what? I'm hot. Anita Hanjob. Fix your sight. Jamar. <laughs> Alpha play chase. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Are you me? You can't handle the heat. It looks like we're finally at this point. You're right. <laughs> hey, everybody, and welcome to ADP Chasing. Uh, today, joined by the normal group of myself, uh, Davis, and Pat, as well as JJ. JJ, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, man. Pumped. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, news time uh, that you're joining us at. Obviously, uh, the Taylor stuff over the weekend. Tell us what to do, JJ. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, yeah, we need all we know need all the answers here. Um, but yeah, why don't we just dive in with starting about the Taylor with the Taylor discussion? Obviously, um, there's only so much we can know. It's a very um, ambiguous, uncertain situation. But yeah, curious initial takes from the group here, you know, comparing Taylor to maybe um, Jacobs or Dobbins, some of these other They are fucking trading this dude and he's not giving up a year of service. It's it's Mm. just, you're not trading Jonathan Taylor for a third round pick. There's no, just hold, like literally just hold him on the roster and get a compensation pick. And who's trading a third round, like, Someone someone proposed to me the mechanics where this makes sense for the Colts, for Jonathan Taylor, and for the team acquiring him. I don't I don't see Yeah. That. The the what makes me nervous about this is that Jim Irsay is heavily involved. You know, Jim Irsay hired Jeff Saturday because he played center for the Colts and he was a good hang. You know, this guy's this guy's a dumbass. <laughs> so he he goes, he talks to Jonathan Taylor, and then Taylor immediately requests the trade, and then Ursay's tweeting about, you know how the universe is, you know, infinite and we're all living on a, on a rock and nothing matters. I'm like, this doesn't seem, this seems like way weirder than usual. And that the owners involved, I don't like that. Like the Jacobs situation, I've been buying Jacobs in the late third. I haven't really had a, like a ton of concern about doing that. It just, this, I'm, I'm going to draft Taylor in the third, but I'm going to feel worse about it. I think. Yeah. I don't, JJ, I, any, I feel, any thoughts? I feel fine about it. 
Yeah, what yeah do you I mean, think, like, like, I feel like we've basically just been like gobbling a bunch of players in the middle of the third round, and they're just all they just all kind of like cluster there, and we're just like sure, like at that point where that firewall hits, where you know you start to get into like the DK Metcalf range, and you could very easily make arguments for like thousands of guys. Um, you know, it's it's easy to go that direction. I think you know to, to Pat's point of like a Jacobs of like a Taylor. Um, I, I don't I don't really you know we we've seen history. You know, I, I do think that there's some differences this season than previous seasons, just given the fact that running backs are, are essentially like unionizing uh, or at least trying to form something to this coalition to like fight against the, the CBA and whatnot. Uh, but there's there's really nothing that they can do at the moment, like in the short term, like maybe there's a longer term play that they can deal with, uh, you know, in future seasons. But um, I just think that they're sort of stuck. And when you're stuck like that, uh, and you do have to accrue seasons uh, contractually to, to be able to finally get out of the situation that you're in, you're sort of forced, right? We saw that with Saquon. We've seen that with running backs for, uh, you know, the last five years in the league. Like this isn't the, the whole running back holdout stuff is not anything new. Um, you know, I, I think that it's just becoming more frequent uh, because we've, you know, we, we've seen uh, teams uh, buy into the the narrative a little bit more that, that they just aren't that valuable. Um yeah. And so I, I, I think that we're going to see him play. I think if anything, if there's anything that we should be like questioning or digging into a little bit more, it's just like, there's a lot of conflicting reports about like what this back issue is and stuff. And like what these like, like, is there something physically going on with Jonathan Taylor? I think we're all obviously siding and saying like, they're just being ignorant about this or they're just trying to, to, to hold this over his head and have leverage and such from a, from a contract standpoint to get like, get him to play. But I mean, we just don't know what exactly is going on, right? Like, we don't have four. Didn't he tweet about his back, saying like basically? It's he said BS. it was fine, but the fact that like the team is saying that he failed a physical because of the back, and like now there's like, I mean, it's not like a random, you know, it's not like this like, yeah, the, you know, small small town reporter just saying something and just throwing something out on Twitter. These are like big forces at play. It's the player himself, and then like the team itself, right? And so right. like. I don't think well, there's the team, actually a the team is threatening basically to take away a year of his service. That's time. what it is, right? They're right. saying we'll sit right. you on the NFI for a year. Correct. You know? yeah, Correct. Yeah. That's and what it, makes me nervous about this. Like that would be super stupid for them to do, but like, but I, I'm pretty not sure do it. it's Jim Ursa. Yeah. Jim Ursa is just an agent of chaos. I think the problem with that though, too, is, is that if you put a guy on the list and then you take him off for whatever reason, right. You can't put him back on. Is that, is that how, and then, so then like they wouldn't, I, I think that might be, right. Yeah, and so they, so I mean, that could be misinformation. So sorry to anyone who's listening. Uh, but <laughs> if that's the case, then obviously they need to to play that properly. Uh, yeah. You know, like their play because if they if they you know have this kumbaya moment for a short period of time and all of a sudden they don't, then they're gonna have to pay them anyway. So yeah, moving parts. I think that the bottom line though is that I'm still cool with that like firewall area you know in the third round where all these guys just kind of keep falling to and and where things just become a lot more ambiguous in draft is there so back to the trade request i know like i think in the vast majority of outcomes i don't expect taylor to get traded there's sort of a lot of reasons behind that but you know getting more into speculation territory are there any potential trade suitors for taylor i, I think the criteria would have to be you know it's a team willing to commit a multiple year, you know, why wouldn't these teams have tag. traded for Austin Eckler? Who's like better. A mo- well, like he's, a better he's like six years younger. Right. I mean, yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. I'd say it's the age thing. I mean, that, that's the difference between, you know, Saquon too. It's still, there's still some sort of gap there and there's, but I, I don't like the only player that we've really seen this go down with 
in the last handful of years is uh, basically since the Le'Veon deal has been CMC. And we know that yeah. CMC is a completely different type of back and player than what you're even getting from Jonathan Taylor. Like the bottom line is like from a real football perspective, rushing is replaceable, like generally replaceable. Like, like the way that a, a guy runs the football is far, far more replaceable than how a guy can line up and, 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 and play receiver and such, which is why there's going to be, a team or two, you know, we always see like one team pop up and like, you know, the, the 49ers popped up and they went after Christian McCaffrey. You only need one team. Sure. Uh, but it's going to, you know, your, your, your probability of that one team popping up is going to be much greater when you have a player like CMC, who's got that elite receiving upside who you can use in, in a, a ton of different ways versus Jonathan Taylor, who is fine as a receiver. Like I'm not, I'm not trying to downplay him as a receiver, but he's, that's not his like elite skill set. Like he's not right. like this un, unreal pass catcher and that's what teams are going to buy more than just having an elite rusher the other thing that's tough like because jonathan taylor i think what he brings as a rusher is is not that replaceable like in terms of his explosive ability right but the issue from like a team building perspective is that if you're investing in a running back you're going to run the ball more and that's just less efficient than passing the ball so it's like yes he's going to be i think he's like going to do more for your rushing attack than most other running backs in the league maybe outside of like one or two but then if you go with a ground and pound, you're, you're worse off than if you never got him in the first place. Yeah, so. yeah. To be fair, by replaceable too, I mean like like that, right? I mean the fact that like you could have you could you could have one of the worst quarterbacks in football per dropback uh, match what you're going to see from one of the best running backs in football from like an EPA perspective, right? And so like that's yeah. what I mean by the replace re- replaceable thing is that there's no reason to like heavily invest in that unless. You know, there. I mean, it's just really not a lot of reason to do something like that. Yeah, yeah. I would think it would have to be a team that thinks they're one move away from competing for the Super Bowl. Like you, this off season, I don't know how legitimate the reports were, but there were reports that the Eagles and Bills were poking around the Derrick Henry uh, trade market. Now that didn't come to fruition, so maybe that's nothing. But man, it's just hard to see with how those teams. Like, it's hard to see the Eagles with you know, Swift and Penny yeah, but the, Penny were those, so cheap. Like, it's hard to see them making that move. With they, I mean, Penny yeah. gives you what JT gives yeah. you from the explosiveness. It's, it's just really that hard he, to he's see. not nearly as reliable, but like you're, they're paying him nothing. So, yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe like if an injury goes down on one of those teams, I could be talking to it more, but as it stands, I think I'm with you guys that, yeah, I just don't really see the trade market for JT. Uh, moving on to, to the fallers this week. So Taylor does well, how, show up. How sorry. So okay, I think we're all in agreement. Like we've seen I've seen some like, you know, Taylor in like the mid third and I, I'm just taking him, him every time in the third round. Like if I'm on but, the clock in the third round and Jonathan Taylor's there, I'm like I'm just taking I passed him. I passed on him at the three oh two to take like Andrews, I think, or an elite quarterback. I can't remember. But I kind of wanted to see it was one of the first drafts I've done since all this stuff, so I wanted to see like how late he would go. Um, but I don't. I kind of wish I didn't. Would you guys have taken him there? Like, is any point in the third round where you take him? I mean, I'm probably. I guess I'm take. It's maybe like a bit of a coward move, but I think I'm just going to take Derrick Henry over him if I need a running back. Like in the late second, early third, I get that Taylor's much younger, has much higher upside, but. Man, the uncertainty just makes me want to take. I think it is a similar bet ultimately between Taylor and Henry. Like you're betting on insane rushing efficiency. 
I like Taylor better than Henry with that bet. If he, I knew he was playing and there wasn't this weird injury stuff going on, but I think at this point I'll take the certainty and maybe, you know, look for Taylor in the third round at this point. Um, but curious Davis, JJ, what you guys think? Yeah, I, I would, I would take Henry over him right now. Um, I, I don't think there's, I mean, I had my, my questions about, Taylor anyway this year with a rookie mobile quarterback and and what that receiving upside looked like anyway you know Derrick Henry coming off his first season in, in the NFL with a 10 plus percent target share per game rate um you know so at least there's something there obviously not a ton but um you know that's basically a similar-ish target share that Jonathan Taylor would be projected to see anyway in this offense so I think it's fine to take Derrick Henry over him but yeah you know once like I said do you, like once you get into that elite quarterback range that Andrews range I think that's when you should be be thinking about Jonathan Taylor. I mean, you can, if you pick out of the 101 right now, you can start teams like Justin Jefferson, Derrick Henry, Jonathan Taylor, or, or even, even from the third pick, you could do, you can do, you know, uh, Cooper Cup, Tony Pollard, Jonathan Taylor, you know, like you can, that seems you can, very fun. you can just do, you can, like, yeah. Cause here's, this is the great secret. We're all probably gonna fucking lose anyways. Like we're not we can't all we can't all be Karain and win two million dollars. So being super risk averse with your fun. entries, just being yeah. risk averse with your entries in a tournament where you lose ninety-nine point five percent of the time and the only reward is literally in getting top ten. Why are you being risk averse? Why are you worried about Jonathan Taylor holding out when you might get a guy who could literally in half point PPR lead all running backs in scoring? In the yeah, I mean, round? it's it's even, it's even better if you can get a Pollard or something as your RB one, and then that way you at least know that yeah, uh, sure it's a it's a less or it's a it's a more risk averse kind of like thought process. But at the same time, some of these guys could hypothetically get past week one week two etc and then maybe later in the season they start to 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 tack on some games and, and accrue a season and such so like you know it is still from a from a build standpoint good to have a, a, a solid foundation at your rb1 spot maybe you feel a little bit better um with them at, at your rb2 spot now that you can get them you know as an rb2 and also like an example I always come to is like Javante Williams last year, who was like a total zero where he was taken, had a 5% advance rate. Jonathan Taylor at the 101, you passed over like every other good player in fantasy. He had an 8% advance rate while having like a bad injury marred season. You you can still advance teams if you're nailing other picks inside those builds. Like being like, obviously you shouldn't target guys who you think are bad. That's like the opposite of what we're doing. But being so hyper risk averse, like it's so funny. We every all these discussions about best ball are like, oh, you need ceiling, you need ceiling, you need 35 points in week 17. And then the second you get a guy who like is maybe the favorite to lead the NFL in rushing attempts in the third round, and people are like, I'm not that interested because of X, Y, and well, Z. You know, I, I I would just reframe that. Like I, I think this Taylor applies to what I'm about to say, but just you know, if we're talking about risk, like if you if you lose Javante last year or you know you lose Taylor last year you might advance the team but you're not going to finish first sure in in yeah. the tournament and so i would just say when you're thinking through the risk profiles consider how it applies to the end of the season you know because that's one thing with like Derrick Henry why why was i really happy to take Taylor just ahead of Derrick Henry before all this stuff came about it's cuz he's got like 5 years he's like 5 or 6 years younger than Derrick Henry like that that i think is a meaningful thing to think through when we're looking at like 
who's going to score points on December 31st. Um, and so then Taylor, Brees Hall, these guys that are now looking very risky, even Josh Jacobs, right? Like if, if he were to miss some games, it'd all be early season stuff. So all of this risk really applies primarily to the early season. And I think that's one reason to keep wading into it. Yeah. And Jacobs is an interesting comp because his ADP actually hasn't budged on the holdout news. He was going at pick 30 before the holdout news and he's still going at pick 30. I think he like dropped one slot and came back up. Um, so I think, and I put out a poll on Twitter this morning or actually last night about who people are more concerned with in terms of missing games. And the public is way more concerned with Jonathan Taylor missing games than Jacobs. I think it was like, you know, 70% to 30%. Now, obviously that's some recency bias. The report had just come out, but I think Taylor is actually going to slide more on this news than, than Jacobs did. So just purely like game theory, ADP perspective, I think it's okay to pass on Taylor in the early third, late second, even, and, and hope that you're going to get him um, in the late third, a bunch. Uh, I totally understand making the bet in the late second, early third anyways, but I do anticipate like him sliding to 26, 27, 28 range over the next couple of days. Um, anyways, let's, unless anyone has any final Taylor points, let's jump to the chiefs wide receiver situation. Kadarius Tony dropped over a full round this past week on the inter- injury news and then if you look at the risers on the next page, the players highlighted in green here, Richie James jumped almost two rounds. Justin Ross jumped a round and a half. Rasheed Rice jumped almost a full round. So uh, there's a ton of mar- uh, movement in the Chiefs wide receiver market. Starting with you, JJ, curious your stance on Tony's, like, you know, both pre and post injury. Were you in on him before? Uh, how are you dealing with him after this injury? Uh, curious your thoughts. I haven't really been in on Tony this year. Uh, I was much more into to Sky Moore at, at his ADP. Uh, you know, mostly just given the fact that we haven't seen Tony be a full route tree guy. Uh, you know, and and you know, this stems from not just what he's done in the NFL too. I mean, as a prospect, he came in as like a utility guy, right? He only played like one year a wide receiver in college, um, and so you know, there, there's just a lot of. I mean, he's a very very raw player, and then. I do, you know, I'm not a big like injury prone guy uh, in terms of just like, you know, like, like just typecasting players that way. But I do think that like, given the way that Tony moves and his shiftiness, like there could be a lot to the reason as to why he can't stay healthy and stay on the field. Um, but I would say, you know, I, so I, I wasn't, uh, I, w- I was underweight on him. I was still drafting him at times, but I was underweight on him. It wasn't really the injury stuff. It was more so the, the, the route tree stuff with him. Um, obviously saw the upside, but I just, I, I see Kansas city's offense as, kind of similar to what they did last year where you're going to see a rotation of wide receivers in terms of them really producing and having these big weeks. Um, you know, I'm not as into like a Rasheed Rice as like a, as a prospect, but you know, I've thrown darts. Um, you know, and sky was just the one player who, uh, you know, sort of was, was falling into that spot in your draft where opportunity cost just wasn't that significant. Obviously he's risen a little bit over the last like couple months in total, but uh, you know, the opportunity cost was, it was at least uh, reasonable, think that he would slot in in like a juju role more than any other uh, any other player on that team um and he he can play inside outside like he can do a lot on that team so i was just a little bit more attracted to him at his adp and that's forced just forced me to not get as much tony i know it's a lot easier to say that in hindsight but uh you know there's a lot of data to suggest that tony's just like not fully there yet as a, as a full-blown wideout matt Harmon's done a ton of great work on that with him over on reception perception 
Yeah. I was always skeptical of the the Tony upside case. I think it's a nice sounding narrative that, oh, Chiefs wide receiver one inherently has a shit ton of upside. But yeah, like you mentioned, he's yet to show he's really a full, complete wide receiver in the NFL. And I, I always was always skeptical of the upside even before the injury. But curious for you, Davis, of these three Chiefs wide receivers that are rising up, uh, there's been the, the camp hype situation for the Chiefs has been uh pretty humorous to watch any of justin, these three justin ross <laughs> with an adp is just it's it's hilarious i mean i'm i gotta capitulate a little bit because the beat writers are starting to say he's gonna make the team now because basically i i actually think there is a chance that the kansas city chiefs keep seven wide receivers including tony on the designated for return ir four running backs with Daneric prince being a core four special teamer but being active on game days and four tight ends and you might say like oh that's insane they would never do that i mean the first thing is they had four tight ends active uh four tight well three tight ends and a fullback last year they don't have a fullback on the roster but obviously kelsey obviously noah gray jody fortson was active once he came back from the designated for return ir and then blake bell has never been a healthy scratch when he has been a kansas city chief he has always been active they really like him as a blocker and if fortson and prince can both be core four special teamers. They can be on the active 48 for that. It One, it just makes the Kansas City stuff a mess, like a complete, like imagine playing a showdown. And you know, close your eyes. It's week eight. The Chiefs are in a Thursday night showdown against the Denver Broncos, and you're trying to figure out your exposures between the fourth running back, the third and fourth tight end, and the sixth and fifth wide receivers. Like it's just a huge mess. But all of that is a long preamble to say, I think Richie James is just a starter on offense. I think I think they're coming out week one against the Lions, and Richie James is just going to be the, the – he's going to have a 65% snap share, pretty heavy route participation. I think he's just going to be the slot wide receiver because Dave Traub already said uh, – Dave Tobe, it, he's, the, he's the punt returner. So there's just no question about him being active on I thought Sky days. looked pretty locked in as the slot receiver and a – Everything I've read, people are pretty impressed with his camp. So maybe they'll move guys around. But yeah, I that's that's all. I, I should that... I should say I should say third wide receiver, not slot wide receiver. Just yeah. That. I mean, to, to be fair to Kansas City, like their slot rates at wide receiver are all they I mean, move them all around. Yeah, like yeah. guys, like so many guys are between like the forty and sixty percent range, like just that's, just all season long. So. That's what Tony so that's was at what, too. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. what that's what Richie James is is going to do. Um, and I would note that. For the tight end side of this, who knows if it'll mean, you know, they're going to get cut or anything. But uh, the Athletic had, I think it was Nate Taylor, had a, um, yeah, it was Nate Taylor from the Athletic had uh, whose stock is rising, whose stock is falling article. And Blake Bell and Jody Fortson were on the stock falling with him wondering if Bell could end up losing his roster spot. Um, And so maybe that is a way that they get to the extra wide receivers and running backs. That, it that would make it would, it would maybe be Blake Bell versus Justin Ross. Well, right? there's exactly. Yeah. And, and it looks like just, I'm, I think I'm ready to bet on Justin Ross for that yeah. spot. They just uh, do not shut the fuck up about him. Like the chief, the official chiefs Twitter account tweets about him like twice a day. I mean, it's, it's, but da- so Davis, you're clearly pretty anti Justin Ross. I but, am, but I, I, it's not a tenable position anymore. It feels like right, but like my thing is, my thing is, I mean, this is probably more season long too than 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 best ball because you still want to get that production late in best ball and stuff. But like to me, it's a, I mean, the dude has one of the best age adjusted 
wide receiver profiles we've ever seen, right? And he did that, like, as a freshman, he outperformed T. Higgins, right, at Clemson. And so, like, there's clearly this upside case to be made, whereas do you see that same upside argument being made with a guy like Richie James? Like, why would you not just favor the Justin Ross side there? I mean, because Richie James has, like, good NFL production in stretches. Now, the thing that you is would it, say... It, but is it is it is it mostly just best ball take versus like in the season long league? Are you just going Justin Ross because it doesn't you matter? You got to in season long, right? Season yeah. long, yeah, because be Richie Justin James, yeah. Richie yeah. James's stat line is very unlikely. Right, so you're saying that he could get he, you, you feel better about him just getting some production, just being right. yeah, well, like Justin day. Ross could be. I mean, we're we're hyped about him, but it's not crazy that he could be cut. And oh yeah, he could, he could right? be a hero. That, sure. that's or he could just be a healthy or, scratch, like a depth yeah. guy. Yeah, you know, yeah. like he just never sees the field. That's what yeah. has made me nervous about drafting it. But I, I'm interested now in drafting on DraftKings with the extra extra rounds. I don't know if I'm in yeah, yet on time. underdog. But I so the other I thing think- with Ross is that I think makes him interesting is that he would pretty clearly, I think, be on an outside wide receiver. Yep. Um yes. you know, they played a Justin Watson a ton there. And then MVS, I don't know if we've made enough of like how bad he his could go to zero last year. MVS MVS could go to zero. He had he had a 26 open score last year. This is using the player tracking data, ESPN's open score. Um, if you look, so they've had they they have this metric going back to 2017. If you just pull in every every wide receiver season, there's 494 seasons. MVS's was 481st in open score of those 494. Like he was he was elite at not getting open last year. Like I think it's it's a real problem. If you've got a guy who, you know, is flashing as an outside receiver, like MVS, I don't think is is safe. Yeah, I, David it, it, it's, it's low key. It's it's low key like a giant situation, right? Where like a lot of their talent is, you know, in the middle is in that slot role. But yeah, good luck figuring out exactly which dude's going to be there. Whereas right. with this, that's why that's why I'm more so infatuated with Sky Moore right now because I mean, obviously, you know, ADP is a lot different and it's risen, but like we know he's an inside outside guy. Richie James is not like a hundred percent not. And the competition for a guy like Ross, like you're noting, Pat is just a lot, lot less and not as significant as what some of these slot guys would be facing in this offense. Yeah. I think what's interesting about rice who we haven't touched on yet is that the stuff from camp seems to be that he is playing the, he's doing a lot of the Hardman gadget stuff. They're doing like, like he's getting like, he's getting like jet sweeps and those pop passes and stuff, which might just be a way to see if he can do it. You know, I mean, we're very early in camp, so it, it could be, you know, um, much ado about nothing. But, I mean, I think cost-adjusted, it feels like maybe the market has baked in a little bit too much of, well, last year it was just total whack-a-mole, right? Like, there, it, I, Pat, I think you had the stat that there were two or only three 20-point or more half-point PPR performances. That, right? it, it, yeah. Even Sam, one of you yeah, guys. Yeah. It was like It was like there was just a total dearth of it. But I think that it, that's a little bit of like our pattern finding brains just being like, oh, well, that happened last year. So that yeah. means that sky can't break out. Rice can't be useful. Like, yeah, like if your your base case should just be a guy running routes with Patrick Mahomes probably has a chance of being pretty viable for fantasy football like that. I think that should yeah. be the baseline. Also, like Juju had some usable weeks last year and like <laughs> Juju's done. Yeah. So, you so know, done. there's so. 
you know, I think in some ways, like he kind of proved that there is meat on the bone here yeah. by having a couple of those games, and then he, yeah. you get the I mean, MBS kind of fizzled out. MBS is awful, and he had 107 yards and a touchdown in the AFC Conference Championship game. And like as Korean, as you were highlighting, would it really be that surprising if the team just decides like you're you're done, you're you're done, like we're done, we're done well, playing you? Last last year, if you look, starting in Week Ten, uh, Justin Watson in that week. Prior to week 10 last year, he never had more than 30% of snaps. He was playing very much limited role. In week 10 last year, Justin Watson got to 73% of snaps. And then from week 10 to the Super Bowl, Justin Watson outsnapped MVS in more games than MVS outsnapped Justin Watson. So they kind of did that last year in, in some ways. Like Justin Watson played ahead of MVS for a huge stretch of the season. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if MVS becomes the guy that's just only on the field for clear out routes, like 25% route rate. I think that's definitely possible, but yeah, it's like who, who is playing on the outside. If that's happening, it's probably Justin Watson, maybe a little bit of sky more Justin Ross as well. Like, man, MBS is also not protected by his contract. Uh, yeah, he could be cut. He, he won't be cut this year, but he, he saves $12 million if cut after this year. So he will be cut. So it's uh, like, yeah. it's just for this year, if they end up phasing him out at the end of the year with the idea that we're definitely cutting this guy now, I mean, that would be pretty, pretty natural move for them to make. Maybe this is a cop out, but I've been struggling with the Chiefs wide receivers. I, I think my approach is going to be to get exposure to them in redraft and still get some in best ball, but more so load up on redraft because I am very conscious of, dead roster spots in best yeah. ball and this yeah. is like a landmine of dead roster spots looking at this team but in redraft like just once i get to like the 14th 15th round in redraft maybe even earlier i'm considering some of these guys because i do think there are these like ceiling outcomes where you can lock in uh, a richie james a justin ross even a rasheed rice into your starting lineup uh every week in redraft but Man, in best ball, it's like it's so challenging because just because of the quantity of these guys, and somebody has to be like an absolute loser. So um, it's a tough situation. I think well, more. I'm still drafting more, even though his price is rising. I'm starting to get a little uncomfortable. If he goes yeah. into like the mid eighth, I think I'm out. Um, but you can still get him late eighth or early ninth. Uh, Tony, I am starting to take a little bit now because he's falling into like the 95 plus range, and at that price if it's my wide receiver five or i've taken him as my wide receiver six on wide receiver heavy builds i'm like i can just sneak you in and like tony can give you spike weeks in the playoffs like he definitely can do that um provided he plays enough uh yeah. runs enough rounds. five routes four touchdowns maybe <laughs> yeah but he's and it, i'm doing that correlated i'm doing that if i have Mahomes or bring back on cincinnati yeah. stuff but i think you know you're he's starting to get close to like jameson williams and like He's not guaranteed to miss six games. You know, he could only miss one game or no, or no games. Or no games. Although, I, I'm skeptical that it's no games, but it's possible. So he is All in right, a range now where I I think the upside. It's I was completely completely out before because I was like, yes, there's upside from here, but the there's so much downside, and now it's starting to feel a little bit more balanced. All right, let's let's do this, and then we can move on and start getting into some of JJ stuff. But let's if you can only draft one Chiefs wide receiver where they're going you you take Mahomes let's say you get him in the third round you don't have Kelsey and you can take one Chiefs wide receiver you get at the current in, cost yeah. you get yeah. to pencil him in 
I'm taking, I would rank them in order, James, Sky, Rice, Ross would be the way I would order them. James, I just be, I, James doesn't have the ceiling, but I feel extremely comfortable he's going to be active for all 17 games, and I'm not burning a eighth or ninth round pick on him. I'd probably go Rice, then Sky, then don't don't really want the rest much to be honest. At I all. think I'm Sky then Tony. Yeah, I can just get I, Tony I, I, in the yeah. You know, that's where I think I am now too. I didn't like only like when you can get him past 100. It's pretty. It, it's yeah. the, the, the 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 it's it's all baked in at that point. Sky though, you know, I agree with Pat. Like Sky to me is still in a in an area of of the draft where like you don't feel that great about what's going on around them. And there, you know, now you got like the Charbonnet stuff going on and that's a guy that I, you know, that, that you might look at in that that's range so in that area. Charbonnet. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's, it's so just, brutal. Yeah. yeah. And it's just like, I still feel like he's in sort of a dead part of the draft where I'm okay going that direction. But if he does rise a little bit more, um, then, then I'd be out. Yeah. All right. Let's, let's, uh, we could talk about the Chiefs wide receivers, uh, all day. Uh, let's move to talking about, uh, JJ's JJ's ranking. So JJ puts together an awesome uh, draft guide. Highly recommend everyone checks it out. It's at uh, lateround.com, the late round draft guide. Um, he puts together rankings for redraft uh, for half PPR. So that's what these rankings are that we're going to be showing. So obviously some nuances, redraft versus best ball. But what I've shown here is JJ's ranking, which is the green bar versus underdog ADP. So these are all players that JJ is much higher on than ADP. And you can also see the positional rank at the bottom versus JJ's positional rank. So um, could be some structural things going on there where, you know, the the wide receiver sickos and underdog, obviously wide receivers go earlier there than they do in the, the redraft formats that JJ is making his rankings for. So that's an interesting data point to check out as well. Um, so I want to start here with talking about Tyler Lockett. Uh, JJ is eight wide receiver spots above underdog consensus on Tyler Lockett and almost a full round above an ADP. Now looking through your guy, JJ, I know you're also high on JSN. So just curious on how you're playing Seattle um, pass catchers as a whole this year. And then, you know, Lockett specifically as a guy that you like above ADP. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny the, the difference in ADP stuff, like, cause I, I, my, my draft guide is obviously catered towards like season long players. Right. And a lot of season long players are going to look at things like fantasy pros, expert consensus and whatnot. So a lot of my players are targeting avoid stuff is focused on that expert consensus ranking, th- those expert cons- consensus rankings. And it's hilarious. Cause like, I'm so wide receiver heavy compared to those. And then I overlay it over underdog. God. Uh, but yeah like so so yeah i mean there's a balance here because obviously season long is just a little bit different um and whatnot but uh you know i'm still very very wide receiver heavy compared to the the typical analyst market uh with Lockett itself yeah like i I like jsn i think dk metcalf might be like maybe a little bit overvalued just from a season long market perspective um and and i I only say that just because we've seen you know i I see the regression coming i know he's gonna score more touchdowns this year all that good stuff um but I just look at where Lockett and JSN go. JSN in season long, by the way, like it's absurdly hilarious where he gets where where he's being ranked and like where he's like underdog and and, and best ball drafts. Uh, you know, you'll see him back to back with with Lockett, but he's like thirty spots below Lockett in the in in like your season long drafts this year. So he's the easiest 
easiest target known to man. Uh, you know, and, and he's like more game. valuable in that format too. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I know it's crazy. So I like Lockett just because I mean we've seen Lockett consistently over the last. You know, I, I do a lot of analysis on uh, average draft position expectations. So just graph out data points where on the x-axis you have ADP where these guys typically get drafted. Y-axis you have uh, points per game that they score. So let's say a guy gets drafted 50th overall, he scores 12 PPR points per game. That's a data point. Do that for every guy since 2011. You get a trend line. And then if a guy outperforms that trend line, then he exceeds ADP expectation. You know, if he underperforms it, then he does not. Um, and so with Lockett, he's been a guy that the market just gets wrong year in and year out. I mean, like, like there, there are some players like that where we see Deontay Johnson's another one, actually, where last year was the first time that, uh, you know, the market was wrong with Deontay uh, by, by a decent margin. Um, Lockett last season still had great target share numbers, was still very involved. And I think, you know, what we're going to see in Seattle is at least in the short term, uh, see him play the perimeter pretty, pretty exclusively. I'm hoping and I'm uh, assuming just just it's rational coaching would would dictate that they go a lot of 11 personnel and get JSN in his natural spot in the slot a good bit to allow him to play, you know, enough snaps and whatnot. And I, I do think there's going to be some rotation in there. But the cost to get Lockett is just not nearly, you know, the opportunity cost is just not nearly as significant as it is for DK Metcalf. And I think at the end of the year, are we really going to, like, I think the, the, there's this assumption being made that JSN can only hurt Tyler Lockett, but JSN can also hurt DK Metcalf to some degree as well. Um, and then, you know, the other thing too is we're playing, we're looking at this from a probability perspective. You know, I have all three of those guys ranked fairly high, at least compared to the market. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying that all three of those guys need to finish in the top, 29 or whatever at wide receiver for them for you know that, that that's what i'm predicting it's just that you have outs right and e with each of these wide receivers you have multiple outs because if dk metcalf gets hurt then both jsn and tyler lockett see your eyes if jsn gets hurt then both dk metcalf and Ty so they each have multiple outs to see higher target shares and better numbers um and so that's another reason why i think you know the market is a little bit wrong with them is because they're not thinking of the the contingent upside with each of these guys that's a great point uh Davis or Pat, any any thoughts on Lockett or other Seattle wide receivers? He's one of my most drafted wide receivers. Uh, Seattle Seattle is just priced. It feels like it feels like they're priced like ten. I, everyone on the team just feels priced ten percent too cheap. And now Walker and Sharbs are both banged up. Yeah. So I I wonder I wonder if there will be a little bit of an uptick in Lockett, JSN, and Geno ADP as a result of that. But I've just found it very easy all summer long to just. Oh, all right. I don't have my stack set up. All right. I'm going to take Lockett. If JSN's still there at the next pick, I'll take him. I'll take Gino, you know, or, or you can do, you can do Deontay Johnson, then Lockett and you just got it all. It's, it's yep. so or easy. Or JSN comes back around. I, I do sure. that a decent amount. Now you take Deontay in the late fifth and you, you're like, one of these guys will probably come back. Right. Get a little mini. I think JSN is uh he's the classic case for me of, um, I think his ADP is really bad, but I just like, one, I don't, I don't want to have bad. zero. Like I, I think I bad from a projection yeah. standpoint. Yes, bad from yeah, a median sure. projection. Yeah. But I love his range of outcomes. Right, right. Plus, like if he didn't do anything for you know the first six weeks of the season, and then you know crushed down the stretch or whatever, that yeah. like he he would be worth like I don't know like a second round pick. Like it doesn't yeah. like so I don't I'm he just has such a high late season ceiling. I think that I. I want to be really overweight on JSN, which I am. I also really like Lockett, though. I don't yeah. like Metcalf. I think uh, the kind of uneasiness that you have about Metcalf, JJ, I've 
I like really have, especially because he's in a he's like in a tier situation where I'm like, I want to be in on these elite quarterbacks. I want to be in on Mark Andrews. I want to be in on the the running back murky situations. Like that, there's so many talented running backs in the third round. I'm like, I have to take DK Metcalf right yeah. now. Like I, I I'll just take Lockett and JSN potentially both or one later. Uh, so I, I'm very underweight DK, which makes me a little nervous, but I, I don't, yeah. I don't really see like how I get, how I fix that because it's just yeah. like, right. He, he's more of like a, a early fourth round value. I think. Well, to me, to me too, there's other wide receiver alternatives where he goes that I I'd even not, not necessarily be, you know, like more, but be okay with spreading the diversification around with, right? Like I'm, I'm cool with getting some Amari Cooper. I'm cool with getting Calvin Ridley. I'm cool with like just getting some exposure to those guys. Whereas when I'm in that range where Lockett and JSN go, there's not that much going on around there that I'm like, yeah, I got, cause a lot, like a lot of times you can get those Seattle wideouts after that sort of tier of a, of a yeah. lot of those potential breakout guys like are, are done. Right. And yeah. so it's just a lot easier to go, to go that route than going the DK Metcalf route. Yeah. The, the Metcalf thing is tough too, because I think I agree with you guys that if I was to rank the wide receivers in order, I think Metcalf is actually like appropriately ranked where he is, but it's just, it's such a flat tier for me from Metcalf all the way to like Mike Williams, Terry McLaurin. And that range spans like a round and a half where when I have to take DK Metcalf, it usually means I have to take him over Josh Jacobs, over Brees Hall, over, you know, a Josh Allen sliding into the late third. Like, and that's just not a bet that I usually want to make when I think I can get a similar quality wide receiver later. Now that said, DK Metcalf, like I do agree that JSN and Lockett threaten his target earning when they're all in the field together, but and once they get into the red zone and they have, you know, one wide receiver, two wide receiver sets, DK Metcalf and his, you know, massive frame are not coming off the field. And if there is a Seattle wide receiver that's going to score like 15 touchdowns this year, it's going to be DK Metcalf and not these other guys, in my opinion. So I do think the upside is is still there, which makes it tough for me to completely fade him. Um, but yeah, it's just it's a tough it's a tough price where he goes. Yeah, I mean, he and Terry McLaurin are not that different, in my opinion. I mean, yeah. Terry McLaurin is should have the best quarterback play of his career pretty easily. You know, why even take, if Howell's why not take very DK good. Why Metcalf when you can just take Calvin Ridley, who looked so good in that one training camp video? You know, well, that's another thing, right? Now we now we have Ridley in the mix. So, yeah, I, I just I, I don't know. I don't want to be underweight Metcalf, but I it's like structurally yeah. he doesn't really make sense. To, like I'm not taking a lot of wide receivers in like the early to mid third anyway. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, there's other guys I like there too. So it's not like I can just hammer them every time I take a wide receiver. Yeah. Let's move on to talking about Pollard. Um, Brees and Jacobs also show up on this list, but I think that's more of just like, a a, a, a format thing where underdog is super, uh, wide receiver heavy. You're actually not ahead on Brees and Jacobs in terms of their positional ranking. So I think Pollard is maybe the more interesting conversation here. JJ, you have him ranked four, uh, overall in your running back rankings, Underdog has him as the seventh running back uh, going off the board. You can consistently get him in sort of the mid to late second. So, uh, yeah, why do you see uh, Pollard as, you know, a few spots higher than the underdog consensus? 
Yeah, I mean, he's been someone that I feel like has, should have been or should be a one-two turn guy instead of where he he goes. Like he he's a he's a pretty easy draft for me, like in the late second and such. Um, yeah, I mean, the bottom line is, you know, I love players who we know, um, you know, have room for growth with their projection. Uh, and Pollard just one of those players because we know the efficiency is going to be there. We know the big playability is there. Uh, how they're currently built, he's likely going to see goal line touches now and not have to necessarily split that. Um, and, and, and there's room for now he's on this franchise tag where they could say peace out after the season and not necessarily be overly concerned about the, the workload and the volume. Um, there's also this like stigma. I feel like with Tony Pollard, it's been there since he was drafted that he's like a smaller back that he's this like little guy, but he, you know, he entered the league at like two ten. Like he's not that small of a guy. I think a lot of it is just because as a prospect, he came in, uh, you know, as like a wide receiver hybrid type player like a lot of those memphis players did um and so people sort of just like assume that he's leaner and that he's not able to to handle this massive workload uh but again it just goes back to the idea of like you know tony pollard has room for growth like his projection for me sets him as like a mid-second round pick and then there's that room for growth of okay well what if he does get 250 plus ground touches and what if he does see a 50 percent target share in that offense and then all of a sudden very, very easy to see a case where he's a top three running back in fantasy. So to me, there's just a really good floor ceiling combo. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. The other thing about Pollard um, is that, you know, going to the kind of the the size stuff is that he had a, a pretty good success rate last year. And like some of these, this is the NFL next gen's version of that metric. I think some of these metrics that we talk about, like it's like NFL coaches don't really care about this, but I actually like think they really do care about like whether or not a guy's reliable and Pollard is a reliable rusher. Like he's an explosive rusher, but he's a reliable rusher, which I think should really help him, you know, consolidate some of the short yardage stuff if they don't re-sign Zeke, which has been kind of the thing at the back of my mind of like, is there a chance that I'm going to get third round Pollard because they re-signed Zeke? Mm-hmm. It's one of the only reasons I haven't just like completely gone all in. I am pretty heavily overweight though, I think. Yeah, that's an interesting one. To me, it does remind me a little bit of Austin Eckler in 2021, when oh, I think really? he kind of went in a similar range, like early second, mid second. And the knock on him was like, he's never earned the goal line work. He's not going to earn it now. But then you looked at his running back, the running back depth chart in Los Angeles, and it was like Justin Jackson, Josh Kelly, Larry Roundtree. Like there was nobody there to take that role. And I think given, um, you know, given they don't resign Zeke, it's the same situation in Dallas. Like, are they going to give the goal line role to Ronald Jones, who's been really unreliable his whole career? Are they going to give it to Deuce Vaughn, who's, you know, 160 pounds? Are they going to give it to Malik Davis, you know, a UDFA? Like, I, I, I think Malik Davis. There. I think Malik Davis is actually going to get a lot of touches, but I mean, the Cowboys had 500, I believe, 569 running back rush attempts last year. Like, and Brian Schottenheimer is not going to want to run the ball any less. Now they're they, you know, they might be a little bit less successful in offense because Kellen Moore is not there. But vast majority of this season's to me suggests 300 plus touches for Pollard. He scored. I mean, Pollard obviously, and JJ has done a lot of work on this, but Pollard is um, like he's a distance score. I mean, a lot of his prior yeah. career touchdowns came from 20 plus yards out. Now, can you count on that? Can you say, oh, Pollard's absolutely going to do that? No, but I would suggest he'll beat whatever the league expect like i would guess right. you know, and mike clay does the uh the touchdown stuff like the touchdown estimation whatever his 
you know, this is how many touchdowns he should have scored based on the down and distance of his carries. He will beat that this year. I will, I feel like really good about that. And in a scenario where they do decide like, okay, Pollard, you're having this crazy season. Let's give you the goal line work. I don't, I mean, Pollard is one of the few players going outside of the first round who I think could be the highest scoring skill position player if things break his way. Like, I think he's that good. I think his role has the potential to be that good. He also has a massive weekly ceiling because of that right. ability to score from, exactly. from far out. And if he has a goal, if he pairs that with a goal line role, then you could be talking about four or five touchdowns. That's sort of the Camara. Camara, right? Yeah. Good. Yeah. yeah good. That's a great comparison, I think, Pat. I mean, he did what he did last year, basically playing like a 40% to 50% um, snap share the entire season. Like, and he was still what the RB eight, RB nine, or something. I was going to say so, he was the, he was the running back aid getting Kenneth Gainwell snaps. Or yeah, whatever. That, that's the thing. If they if they bring someone in, it's not the the priority is not nearly as similar as it as it's been with Zeke in that with that contract being on that team being being Jerry Jones's guy. It took so long for us to even see what happened last year and the shift to to occur. Like I think that if they even if they sign a Zeke or a Fournette, what have you, the 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 uh the attachment to those guys is not going to be nearly the same as what it's yeah. been over the last handful of years. Yeah. To be clear, I, the only reason that concerns me at all is just from a closing line value perspective. And yep. if yep. they sign Fournette or Zeke, I'll probably end up with a higher, I'm at 12%. I'll probably be even higher if they yeah. do sign someone. Cause I'll be able to just, sense. yeah, but I do. I think I'm actually going to get a little bit more aggressive either way. I think, yeah. I think he's my most drafted running back. As yeah, I like that. Pick. Yeah, he's up there. He's up yeah. there for me. So I think I'm at like 18 or 19. It yeah, does feel like I'd a, rather be there. Yeah, a small loss, big win that you can get in the late second round is is a pretty nice uh, selection. It's a great way to describe him. Yeah. Um, let's move on here to a couple players JJ's below consensus on. Um, we're looking at just the first six rounds here. The first thing I want to talk about. JJ is your stance on the 49ers, both Kittle and Debo show up on this list. And I think if I expanded it to uh, 10 players here, Ayuk actually shows up on this list as a guy you're below consensus on. So uh, yeah, curious just how you're playing um, the 49ers. And, you know, I think people would push back and say, you know, Shanahan offenses are always super efficient. They always have deliver a lot of spike weeks for these players. Uh, I don't want to be underweight on them. So what, what is sort of your counter argument to, to those uh, concerns? I think it's fa- more fair in, in a best ball environment. And I I've, I've been, uh, you know, I'm still getting exposure to, to all of them, except, I mean, I don't have a ton to Kittle, which is a little bit scary because we obviously know that he's capable of what he's capable of on a weekly basis. Right. Um, my thing with the 49ers in general is uh, of course, I understand the, the, the upside argument, etc. I feel like not enough people are talking about how good they were with Brock Purdy last year. And when I say that people are like, yeah, okay, well, Brock Purdy's going to play this year. So let's just keep it rolling. But uh, there's a lot of regression that could easily hit. They averaged 3.83 touchdowns per game last year in the regular season when Purdy took over. That's sixth best in in the NFL since 2011. uh, When you look at season long numbers for teams. So if you were to assume that this 49ers team is going to maintain what they were doing last year with Brock Purdy. You're essentially assuming that they're going to be a top six, top seven offense of the last decade plus, which I don't think is the right sort of projection to make. Uh, And I think there's a lot to argue that it's, I mean, there's a far easier argument to say that they're not going to come close to that. Um, And I I think a lot of what's happening in the market 
uh, is sort of, uh, you know, based off of that. And then, uh, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not a, uh, you know, a, a, a too many mouths to feed type analyst where, where uh, you know, people using that, that argument. But I do think in the case of the 49ers, it's kind of true. I mean, you have elite talent at every position. You know, CMC is going to command easily a 15 plus percent target share. Brandon Ayuk could be really special. Uh, Debo obviously being Debo and, and George Kittle's uh, done that throughout his career. Um, you know, they're, they're all talented players and talent is what dri- is what's driving that target share. But the too many miles to feed argument is valid. If you had a team with Tyree kill, Justin Jefferson, and every single good wide receiver on the planet, someone's not going to have a big target share on that team. Um, two and two I feel- of these guys are really going to disappoint and we don't really Probably. know which ones they yeah, are, but two of right. them are just not going to get there more, more than likely, more than likely. Yeah. And so like, like, and then you look at the splits with and without CMC last year, Debo in particular, I, I, I referenced in my draft guide. I mean, I talked about Kittle because Kittle, when all of them were active, had like a 13% target share uh, last season. But Debo, I feel like is one, I, you know, I've bought into him a little bit more in, in best ball, but Debo's the one who, you know, his numbers weren't like horrific, but when you compare pre and post CMC deal, uh, he dropped in, in target share by about seven percentage points per game. Uh, like he was, he was cruising the, the front half of last year in terms of, of market share. Um, and it, and it, it, he saw a decrease. And so if you're going to see a decrease on the market share level, but then at the team level, you also see regression hitting that team. Like I said, with a 3.83 touchdowns per game, that, that combines and really has a, a bigger effect in total of how a, a projection of a player really looks. And so that's why the rankings show what they show, but I do, you know, I'm still getting exposure to these guys because of course I recognize uh, that, 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 that weekly, you know, output could be, could be big for any of them. To me, the, the offensive concerns I think are, are way bigger than the mouse to feed concerns, especially for best ball, right? I, the mouse to feed concern is, it, it is, they're all so good that it is a bit, it's going to be annoying for, for managed leagues, but correct. Yeah. Like if you're, I mean, if you look at Kittle, his price is down from last year and the whole play with Kittle is, He's going to really disappoint you most of the time, but when he doesn't disappoint you, he's going to come it's through. It's so and good. Something, yeah. Right. So did that work for you last year, Pat? Just it wanted. worked for me and it worked okay. for the guy at the, <laughs> he was on the winning drafters, the one through 17 score. So he, he isn't just I, a pure, you know, three week sprint tournament play either. Those, those massive. It's, it's just because getting two third, getting two thirty balls a year from your tight end. It almost it's doesn't huge. matter the weeks they get you six. You know yeah, what I mean? Look, I, I, I do want to be clear. Like we are, you know, like I'm, I'm sure people are like commenting on this, but like we are looking at se- my season long rankings. Yes. Versus yes. Yes. yes, yes just yes, that everyone's yeah, yeah. on the same page. Like, like getting exposure to these guys in best ball is far, far different than getting exposure to these guys in season long. 100%. Yeah. I yeah. think, and Kittle, I think is a great example of that. Cause it's like in a season long league, you know, if you, like you need to win your league. Whereas in best ball, you can be like, well, I won't win, win my leagues very often, but like when I do, you know, so it's, he's much more of a kind of portfolio play because he can just absolutely blow up in the, in the fantasy playoffs. Even if you win your league at a slightly lower rate with him, which I think is probably what you're signing up for, even at the reduced price with Kittle. But I guess my concern is like how, like how bad do you think this could get for, for the Purdy led offense here, JJ? Like, do they, I think some regression is got to be yeah. assumed, but like, do you think the, like the wheels could fall off or how much? No, do you have I, no, no and I've done, I've done research too on if you have, uh, you know, the, the parameters that ended up working best with this research was if you have a top 12 quarterback by ADP, 
multiple top 30 wide receivers and then a top 12 tight end, uh, you know, just add those up. And the more you have, the higher chance your offense is going to do well in touchdowns per game. And, and San Francisco has that, right? On No matter what platform you're looking at, no matter what ADP source you're looking at, San Francisco has that. So the chance that they just like tank is very, very low just based on market dynamics. But I do think that, you know, when you get into like, like to me, it's it's a lot easier for me to get Brandon Ayuk than Debo Samuel. It's sort of, I, I, I honestly feel really similarly about those two as I do with the Seattle situation where I would just much rather get the JSN Tyler Lockett types, uh, you know, than Metcalf, because I, I do think the weekly ceiling is not far different, uh, you know, between those players. Um, and we, and, and the main reason is because we saw, uh, you know, a little bit of a dip, like in, in terms of rush share, in terms of target share, when you get a redundant asset in CMC going to San Francisco, uh, you know, to Debo Samuel. So that, that's my, my general fear with him, but no, I don't think that the offense is just going to like go to hell, but I, I, I do think that there's a little bit more regression that's not being baked into ADP as much as it should. Yeah, I think that's fair. And, and on Kittle, I do think we should bring up that he is going to turn 30 this season and things he did have the huge weeks last year, but things did trend down from him last year compared to prior years in terms of yards per game. Um, just, you know, and, and you can attribute that obviously to the too many mouths to feed um, thing as well. And I, I do think he still has the upside, but you know, the, the age model does come for everyone eventually. And I think it should be somewhat uh, baked into his price that, he's turning 30 and had a bit of a down year last year. If you look at sort of season long uh, results and on a per per game basis. But uh, another one I want to talk about here is Miles Sanders. I think he's been uh, controversial. I think a lot of people have pegged him it's, as the face of the running back dead zone uh, this year. Yeah. Davis, what let, let's hear from you first. What is, what's your Miles Sanders take? It's like a bad offense. They're probably not going to play him. Like, I mean, could could this be uh, like old takes exposed six months from now after he gets 310 carries or whatever? Sure. But I think it's like running back who I don't think is that good. You know, I, I certainly don't think he's like Pollard skill level or whatever. Um, an offense I expect, an offense I'm not that interested in that I kind of think is going to struggle with a non-guarantee to get like the passing down work because Chuba Hubbard could do that. So it's just or like Raheem a, Blackshear who they keep talking or Raheem about. Blackshear. Yeah. Sure. Or LaVisca Chenault. LaVisca or, Chenault or, or the, the constant drumbeat of LaVisca Chenault. He's been a, playing running back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, whatever. I, I feel like he probably it's no one even says this anymore because fantasy is so different now, especially on underdog, but like, he's like kind of the classic trap back where he's like going to yeah. miss out on a lot of the good touches. I think. Yeah, JJ. Well, he should get the goal line work, right? I mean, if he doesn't get the goal line work, my God, yeah, like he's locked for that, right? Yeah, yeah, I think he's a lock for that. But my argument, my argument is like, why is he going like two rounds ahead of some of these other? Like, why does he go two rounds ahead of Rashad White, for instance? To me, to me, it doesn't make it's that very much very similar. Yeah, yeah, like, well, I, to me, I'd I'd rather have White straight up over Miles Sanders right now. But regardless of that sort of spicy take, like the 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 bottom line is he's like like. Miles Sanders is being drafted where he's being drafted right now based on projected volume. That is literally what creates a dead zone running back is that we're drafting him not based off of talent. We're drafting him based off of this projected volume situationally, not great. I mean, I, I you know, I'm referenced the ADP expectation stuff earlier. Uh, I look at players who exceed ADP expectation by three or more points per game and then six or more points per game. This is PPR, not half PPR, but it's still the same sort of vibe. 
Um, and so uh, the guys who uh, exceed by three or more PPR points per game, I call them moderate breakouts. And then the guys who exceed by six or more PPR points per game, they're true breakouts. Since 2011, in the, in the single-digit rounds, we've not seen a single running back who's been associated with a rookie quarterback become a true breakout. So at the very least, chances are Miles Sanders is not going to burn you, right? Maybe he plays above expectation. You know, maybe he's a decent enough bet and he exceeds ADP expectation. But I don't think he's going to be a player that like severely, severely burns you. And then the player himself has been really, really bad since his rookie year on a per target or on, on a, a yards per route run basis as a receiver. And I know a lot of people are referencing the Frank Reich stuff saying that, you know, Miles Sanders is going to catch 50 balls. You know, he's going to do what he did as a rookie again here in Carolina. Uh, but then on the other side, there's Deuce Staley, who this offseason uh, was quoted saying that he likes committees because playing running back is like being in a quote car wreck. So like there, there's, there are definitely differing forces at play here. You know, of course, Frank Reich's a head coach and he might have more say, but I don't really buy into that sort of coaching narrative stuff unless there's some more substance behind it. Uh, and with Miles Sanders, there's just not that much data that suggests that he's a really good receiver. Also, Chuba Hubbard was really good last year. Like he, his yeah, rushing better, stuff yeah. was yeah. very similar to Deontay Foreman's. And Foreman was looking great last year. So I, I think he might have like legitimate competition. Um, and, and Hubbard can also play as a receiver. And then they, yeah, the Blackshear stuff. So I, I, what you said about him not burning you, I think is so important because when we, and we're already starting to feel this, right? With like, oh no, wait, maybe, maybe there's already some landmines that we've all stepped on in some serious ways, you know, and it's a reminder of like how much we're going to be wrong about. And to the point that there's really only going to be a couple guys in every round that, that you actually wanted to take in a, in a big way. And yeah. Find, being overweight those guys as much as humanly possible is so important. If Sanders, we have very – because if he's not going to burn you, that means he's not one of those guys in right. the vast majority of outcomes. So right. why would you want to take him unless he's way behind ADP, so you're like, at least I, I have him at one of the cheapest prices in a tournament, or he's your running back one as you, as you pushed it with um, with your build – and you, so you're gonna you're gonna scoop all of his points, even if he doesn't crush. Like I, I think you should be very selective about when you're taking Miles Sanders, because he really just doesn't have that ceiling. I think. Yeah, I am only taking Sanders. Like maybe I'm a little less like ideological than than you guys, but I, if Sanders falls like ten picks past ADP, I am I'm taking him just because I believe in sort of the portfolio approach and getting some exposure. But I agree with you that it's in very specific situations. And I think to bury you, you have to have Bryce Young be like him and, and be yeah. like immediately uh, an elite quarterback in NFL or, you know, top 10. Right. And that seems like an unlikely parlay to hit that Bryce Young is immediately really good in this offensive environment with the pass catchers they have. And Sanders. he doesn't have any receivers. Like, what? how's yeah. he going to do that? Yeah, that's the, the thing. Are not high. The odds are not high. You have it's it's a very unlikely parlay that. Sanders returns to his, you know, rookie year receiving form and Bryce Young is immediately awesome. Like, I think that's how you get buried. And that seems pretty unlikely. Bryce uh, Young can be awesome and not have an awesome rookie season. Like that's exactly the situation exactly, yeah. isn't great. That's and probably like, that's probably like the favorite thing, right? Yeah. yeah that's that, that's that would probably, probably the be the, the, is that like, he's, uh, he, yeah. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm totally with all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Let's uh move on here. 
We talked about Rashad White. Uh, this, I think, JJ, based on your difference versus ADP, is, is probably your hottest take in uh, the entire draft guide here. You have Rashad White, I think, ranked at 49th overall. Um, he's being drafted closer to pick 80 um, in underdog right now. Um, so, yeah, curious what the what the case is for Rashad White and how you see it. I think people would push back and say, you know, you would a push projected back. volume case is Sam, Sam Shermer would push back. I have a whole chart I'm pushing back on it. So, um, anyways, <laughs> let's see. Let's hear I've the pro your chart you put together. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been very vocally out on Rashad White, so I want to I want to hear your case uh, for him, JJ. Well, first off, I, I mean, I, I lead with my analysis by is this guy good or not, and I think that there's an argument to be made that Rashad White's good. I know that last year his numbers didn't look great, but they were on par with Leonard Fournette. And of course, people can say, "Oh, Leonard Fournette's not good," but you're looking at a rookie running back, uh, you know, versus a guy who, you know, even like within success rate metrics, which is a metric that a guy like Fournette should hypothetically be pretty good at, uh, they were in line and on par with one another. Um, I liked Rashad White coming out. He comped really well for me to David Johnson. Um, and ironically, you know, you have Bruce Arians in that front office and that's who drafted David Johnson. So I think he saw a little bit of him uh, there. The thing that I also like about White is we know he's a pass catcher. Like we know that that's part of his profile. You know, last season, like seven and a half, eight percent target share in that offense with Leonard Fournette. Uh, the game that Fournette didn't play in last year. Uh, Rashad White got to like a 20% target. I mean, he had an absurd target here in that game. I think it was over 20%. Um, and then he uh, he ended up scoring 20 PPR points in that game also. Um, so we know that you know, when Fournette wasn't there, he was seeing a lot of work slash seeing a lot of work through the air. And when you're looking at middle round running backs like this, you know, I know that you, you know, you're dividing it up by round seven to round 12. In my guide, I looked at, I, I defined middle round guys as round six to round nine. Typically, offensive situation is sort of embedded already into ADP with these guys. Um, so you don't have to be overly concerned about that when when looking at these guys exceeding ADP expectations. So that's good because obviously we're we have some question marks about the Bucks offense this year. Um, but then on top of that, if you look at players in that range who uh, see a 10% target share or better, their hit rates are pretty incredible. So I have 17 running backs in this cluster um that in this group that that white's being projected at right now this is based on like fantasy pros expert consensus rankings and stuff and where he's listed there but it's not totally unlike where he's listed in positional ranks and on, on a place like underdog uh but there have been 17 of them since 2011 who have been ranked in this area um who ended up seeing uh a 10 percent target share and i think we feel pretty confident that rashad white would be able to see that in this offense 13 of those 17 ended up exceeding uh, ADP expectation and nine of the 17 were moderate breakouts. Like I said, three or more PPR points per game above ADP expectation. So essentially if you believe that Rashad white is going to see a double digit percentage target share in this offense, which I think is a fairly easy case to make just given his profile, he had an un unbelievable pass catching profile in college. Uh, that was one of the reasons why people were so infatuated with him. Yeah. He, he was uh, an receiving profile. Yeah. And then last year, you know, we have evidence when Fournette was out, he had like a 21% target share. I mean, there's plenty of reason to believe that he's going to be a pass catcher in that offense. Uh, that alone should make you gravitate towards him because those guys tend to hit at a pretty good rate. So I, so yeah, you definitely swayed me a little bit. Um, just back to your first point on like, if you believe Rashad White is good, I guess I'm just very skeptical of that 
after his rookie year. And I do agree to some extent that like running back talent is ambiguous. And, and looking at these stats that I'm showing here, things can change a lot year over year. Like I wouldn't be, it's not impossible that Rashad White can get better from what these metrics show. But out of 54, I would also note that if you're going to be betting on guys to make big improvements, it's very helpful if they're a second year player. Yes. So yeah, yeah. I, I should also add that not to cut you guys off, but something else, something else that's real, that was one of the craziest things that I discovered when doing this year's draft guide. When I was looking at middle round running backs, I was looking at previous season numbers to see how predictive they were for the, for the middle rounds, like other parts of your draft, it's more predictive than, than others, whatever. In the middle rounds, the, there was actually more correlation with a lower running back rush share the previous season than there for, for, for current season performance than a higher running back rush share, meaning a guy who literally has done nothing, who hasn't really proven anything, those guys break out at a higher rate than the guys who have done something, who do have a backbone. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that if you do have a backbone as a running back and you're still being drafted in the middle rounds, what does that say about you as a running back? It's probably that you're not that strong of a player, that talented of a player. But if it is more ambiguous, if there are more question marks, that's actually good. You should lean into that uncertainty. So sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah, no, no, that that totally makes sense. That's a good that's a good point. That it, I I would guess that has to do with um, you know running backs in those ranges that are being prioritized because they're pass catching are better than ones that are being prioritized because they're rushing volume. So right. that's super interesting. But yeah, back to my point. I don't know. So the rushing stuff, I think everyone agrees with. Like his rushing numbers were were terrible last year. PFF rush grade, yards per carry, rush yards over expected, missed tackles, force per attempt, success rate. Anything you want to look at, he was consistently really bad, and and oftentimes worse than Leonard Fournette, who was who was also quite bad. Now the receiving stuff is interesting because this one you can look at his stats from last year, and I can see both sides of it. You look at just like raw volume, like total catches, target share, total receiving yards. He looks pretty good, but then when you consider that in all those metrics, he was much worse than Fournette, it starts to me to jump out as a situation where a Tom Brady on his last legs offense was just really prioritizing these dump offs to the running backs. And these guys aren't actually that talented of pass catchers. Like you look at his yards for reception, Rashad White was 50th out of 66. You look at yards after catch per reception, he was 46th out of 66 yards per route run you know, 25th out of 66, like in the middle, it just doesn't jump out as a guy that's like, wow, this looks like some amazing pass catcher. Now I do get the college profile, but it took until his fifth year after transferring from Juco and, and other schools for him to have that breakout year. So I'm just a little skeptical of the college profile as well. And I just get worried, honestly, with Rashad White that, you know, if, if we get to week one and their backfield is Rashad White, Sean Tucker, Keyshawn Vaughn, and no one else. I'll capitulate and, and I'll draft some. But man, like if they bring in Kareem Hunt, if they bring in just anybody with a pulse, like I just don't think Rashad White is good enough to get a dominant share of the offense. Last year, Leonard Fournette, who's a free agent and everyone is treating like he's dust, White only outsnapped Fournette in like two or three games last year down the stretch. So I don't know, man. I, I, I'm just skeptical of it. I, I'm starting to come around to your side, JJ, where the receiving, th there's definitely some good stuff in the receiving profile and players can just get better. Or, or maybe last year it was just the O-line in Tampa Bay was a disaster, like terrible situation. And he's just better than what he showed last year. But I'm just pretty skeptical of the talent. And, I, and I'm skeptical of what I win in getting like uh, a workhorse back on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with Baker Mayfield and Kyle Trask. To me, it's just... I still like the wide receivers better, but I see your can side we, of the argument. To me, it's about framing, right? If you compare what he did as a rookie to what Fournette did as a rookie, 
and you know look at like yards per hour i know he's 25th and, and fournette's 11th you know that doesn't seem great but he had 1.12 yards per out run which is pretty good it's not yeah. amazing but it's like pretty good well, you know that's a number of the rookie too right and like, he's a rookie yeah yeah, yeah. So right. I, I like to me that's like box checked like sweet i'm in on that you know fournette was at 1.27 yards per out run which is better but you know those are pretty comparable numbers to me. So the 11th versus the 25th there to me, I'm like, well, throw that out. In fact, I kind of like what he did as a receiver. He was a better pass blocker than Fournette, which I think is uh, important to note that like he didn't embarrass himself as a pass blocker. He's probably going to be their trusted guy in those situations. Um, You know, his receiving grade was pretty good for what's that, for what that's worth. The receiving side of this looks pretty locked in. I think maybe he could lose goal line touches even to like a Keyshawn Vaughn. Like something like that could definitely happen. If they bring someone in, that's definitely a concern. But I don't know. I think you have like – you're getting like a decent floor. I also think like even if he's not good, like he, he could probably get there. Like Charles Sims had a pretty solid second season. Uh, you know, is kind of like a, a very mediocre – uh, he, he only had like one season of note, but he had uh, 561 receiving yards in his second season, 529 rushing yards, uh, total four touchdowns, played 16 games, got you 9.9 half point PPR points per game. That's not exactly what you're looking for in this range of the draft, but like you'll you'll survive. And there's upside from there. We've seen guys who we thought were terrible, like David Montgomery had a big jump from his rookie season to his second season in efficiency. David Montgomery's like still not yeah. – Levy on Bell is maybe another comp in that yeah. sort of way. Right. Yeah. You, but you don't even need him to like transform into this star. Yeah. Unless the situation changes. You really him. just need him to do what he did last year, but on more snaps at on his more cost. Snaps, That's yeah. what I'm saying. And I and honestly, like but the like, Brady to Baker thing is just so different, right? Here, like, here, here's my argument against that though, too, is that my I think the biggest problem from Brady to Baker is not because like target share wise last year, Bucks running backs were actually 15th in the league in running back target share. So there's room for growth there. The problem is they threw the ball a lot, right? Like they they had yeah, so much yeah. passing volume that offense and that mm-hmm. when you go from Brady to Baker, they're not going to be throwing it that much. But they also like last year, they had 31 offensive touchdowns. 26 of them were passing touchdowns. Like that's a ratio that 1 million percent probability was. I shouldn't, I shouldn't say 1 million percent. I should say 99.9%. Uh, is going to skew back towards uh, rushing touchdowns. Uh, that, that, like, and, and I think that like we look at last year, like Tampa Bay's offense was good. Tampa Bay's offense sucked last year. Like objectively was bad last year. Uh, and I'm not saying that Lenny and Rashad White were unbelievable or anything last year, but just important to remember that like, I don't think the offense is necessarily going to get worse year over year. I think that it might maintain and still not be that great. But again, if it maintains, and then all of a sudden you're getting Lenny and Rashad White type production in one player or at least you know 80 percent of that let's say then there, there's plenty of value to be had there that's fair um you guys sold me a little bit i'll, I'll mix in some rashad white I, i'm still it's gonna I be an think... easy start too like again these are season long rankings and like yes. you're not gonna have a hard time super like, easy if you're... season long yeah yeah and if you're building out like a zero running back or hero running back build and yes. you can tack rashad white on as your rb one or two like you're not going to have to be like, is this the week I start Rashad White? Like, yeah, yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. he's either horrendous or you're starting him like every week for the beginning right. of the year. Yeah, he's going in a range now. Running back uh, next to Swift, Connor, uh, Javante Williams, Isaiah Pacheco. Um, that's the price range he's going in in best ball. So it's not you don't have to pay that that fourth round price in best ball. So 
I understand it. Um, let, let's move on here. Uh, I want to hit on a couple more guys. Elijah Moore is interesting. Uh, whenever I see that you're higher on a wide receiver because the, the underdog landscape is so <laughs> wide receiver crazy, that stands out to me, JJ. Uh, what's the case for Elijah Moore after a pretty mixed bag of success in the NFL thus far? Yeah, look, man. I mean, I, I whiffed on Elijah Moore last year. Uh, and and it's because, you know, I, I love the talent. I mean, year one, he looked great. As a prospect, he looked great in my prospect model. Year one, he comes out, he looks great on a yards per out run basis, on a, on a points per game basis. I mean, things were looking really good for Elijah Moore. And then last year happens where, you know, a lot of random off the field type stuff. And obviously, Zach Wilson being not very good at football uh, really just torpedoed his value. Um, the, the, the one thing I'll say is, middle round wide receivers who are in their third year and fourth year typically don't do well versus ADP expectation. Like Gabe Davis last year, I guess this year to some degree too. Um, you know, a lot of those players just don't do very well, but I, I actually researched this in more detail last week for my mailbag episode. And I discovered that, um, you know, there's been 20 middle round wide receivers. This is round six to round nine. This is a season long. Sorry to all the haters. Uh, this is season long leagues uh, round six to round nine wide receivers who had a year two score in my prospect model. So you get a prospect score and then I have a year two score. So I basically recalibrate after how well they did during the rookie season to see how well they're going to perform in years two and year three. So I have 20 wide, 20 middle round wide receivers who had this year two score and they're third year guys. Okay. And I thought to myself, Oh, third year guys, they don't hit a very good rate. I'm going to probably not be as bullish on Elijah Moore. And, you know, I was just naturally bullish on Elijah Moore because I think he's good. And I'm just going to say, screw my my data. But then I realized that of the of the 20, uh, 13 of the tw- or sorry, seven of the 20 all had year two scores above the 90th percentile. And 13 of them were below the 90th percentile of the seven who were above the 90th percentile. Every single one exceeded ADP expectation that year, that third year. And of the 13 that were below the 90th percentile, only one did. So there's definitely this strong attachment correlation to these third year wide receivers who were just good prospects, right. Who were talented players and they're not, you know, like the, and, and had good rookie years and had good rookie. Right. Right. Cause they were able to at least have a good year two score. Exactly. And so there are these players who maybe they just, something happened year two didn't really perform. All do you have well. any, do you have any of those guys off the top of your head? Just be interested to the number one guy was Debo. Debo was uh, the, in his breakout season. Yeah. So that's a good one. Yeah, so like Debo was one. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head who else some of the other ones were, but uh, he was the one who was like had like the one true breakout of you yeah. know all these third round guys or sorry third year guys. But then you look at the other the flip side, it's like you know you had Gabe Davis last year who you know was probably a little bit undervalued as a prospect, but wasn't nearly in that 90th percentile range. And then like Robbie Anderson, right, guys who like mm-hmm. that who kind of mm-hmm. like inched up and they had decent year ones and year twos but they didn't necessarily have the backbone as a prospect and, and from that, that profile perspective. So was Alan I'm Lazard adding, or is he a year too old for that? Who's that? Alan Lazard. I feel like. Yeah. I don't think Alan Lazard is part of it. He didn't yeah. make it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where you layer that on top of some of the other trends that I found. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm bullish on the Browns passing attack this year. Love Deshaun Watson. And so um, from a fantasy perspective, and yeah, so that's all needed. <laughs> good, good caveat to throw in there. Um, you know, so like, I, I, you know, good offenses generally lead to more fantasy production, especially with middle round wide receivers, just stuff like that. So, you know, for me, a lot of the trends point to more having a pretty good season this year. And then on top of that, you got the camp reports on top of that, you have the backbone of him being a good prospect and you can, you can at least like narrate your way out of what happened last year, you know, with him where, 
situationally. I mean, all those wide receivers were horrendously worse from a yards per hour run standpoint was Zach Wilson last year. Uh, they, they didn't throw him on the field. Like it wasn't always, you know, typically you're assuming the talent's winning out and that talented players are finding the field. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, they, they clearly had some issues with Elijah Moore. So uh, I'm into, I am into Moore at ADP. He's one of my highest rostered players this year. Also like as far as, cause we've seen guys wash out with teams like Anthony Miller's a dude who comes to mind is like, uh, I don't oh, like man. when I, like... I want to pull up this list right now, just because it's, it's a very, very like, you'll be like, Oh wow. Okay. That makes, that's, that makes sense. But yeah. Man. Anthony Miller's a great example. He's, I mean, just in terms of a guy who was talented, but then he, he washes out of one team. He washes out of another team very quickly after that. And it's just like that, that concerns me. But if you're, if you're the type of person who who like loses your shit because of Zach Wilson, like I get it, you know, I think you're <laughs> that's probably a, a fair enough type of reason yeah. to uh, mm-hmm. to have a relationship breakdown with with your team. So that makes me, but but that that is sort of my concern. The fact that he was traded, basically benched, it, you know, they kind of had irreconcilable differences type of type of situation. That that has worried me a little bit on more. Yeah, the the thing is too. I'm in on more, so this is just kind of devil's advocate case. The yards per hour on stuff was so, so like Corey Davis didn't have a great year, but he was at least like, at, I think 1.2, 1.3 yards per hour on like Elijah Moore last year was like, what? Oh, 0. It was 5. horrible. It was yeah, like bad. completely yeah. fell off the cliff. Yeah. So that's the thing that said, like, I think it's unfair to frame it that way because it became clear. It was not about his play on the field. It was about his personality. Like yeah. his, his yeah. quarterback I, hated I, I him. I do buy that. Yeah. And, so, sorry, yeah, go, go ahead, JJ. No, no, go ahead, JJ. I, I just I pulled up so like there's some there's some, there's some names on this on the on the year three list, uh, Pat. Like a uh, Charles Johnson. Remember Charles Johnson when he like sort of came from nowhere? Oh yeah, like, yeah, the, yeah. You mean he you was, mean start you mean starting Giants wide receiver Charles Johnson? He, he was he was a he was a, a roto of his favorite I think back in the he was yeah the, John Moore loved him yeah Austin Collie is one. Uh, uh, you got okay. like a. I mean, Devontae Parker, I don't think got there for me. Tyrell Williams, great example. Like, like those kinds of players, you generally want to fade. You just want to fade the guys who don't have the strong profile, strong background, strong prospect profile. And then the guys who you know have some talent, you know, it's not, not a bad idea to throw that dart. Yep. Ty- yeah, Tyrell Williams was one of the weirdest year two breakouts uh, ever. Like, he did absolutely nothing his rookie year. And then, or maybe, was it year three or year two? Anyways, um, that that's a, that's a throwback. The one thing I do have, I have one uh, maybe cancelable level take with Watson. I want to get off my chest uh, before I move on. Oh, God. If, okay, here, bear with me. I, I'm not, obviously Watson, I do not think he's a good human being, but if there is a percentage of people playing fantasy that are saying, I don't want to root for Deshaun Watson because of his off the field stuff. I think that means his price has to be artificially low by like I, a little I, bit, I think right? I think that's the, like a hundred percent true and, and as long as you say the off the field stuff no longer matters for his future which I think is mostly fair to say I think his price is artificially low because people just don't want the the stink of Deshaun Watson on their team that that's that's my take on it and that's why I've been like not why I've been a little overweight I like all the pass catchers too but I think there's kind of reason to believe that might be true but anyways um we don't need to talk about sean watson i can tell by the silence that no one wants to comment on that i'm even with the field but i do i mean he's he's someone where 
when you think about like guys who could really his be week 17 games his week 17 game could suck so much ass that it's like that's that's my that's my coping mechanism for being like i don't really want to win 3.5 million dollars with deshaun watson so my cope is that oh uh, so in this I'm scenario just, you also won the regular season prize and then you then you took yes. down the yeah yeah got it so my my cope my cope is that the weather in Cleveland and New York and all that stuff is just going to be awful in in the fantasy football in the three week sprint. Um, okay. Anyways, let's we just have a couple minutes left. Um, let's talk about late round dart throws again. This is this is um, redraft, not best ball, and I think particularly in the later rounds, redraft and best best ball strategy are way different. So caveat with that. But, JJ, I'll give you the floor. Any of these names on this list, a uh, couple wide receivers, Darius Slayton, Jaden Reed, Khalil Shakir, Puka Nakua, some some veteran running backs as well, Jeff Wilson, uh, Pierre Strong, Jerome Ford, any of these guys that you want to make the case for um, as a late-round dart throw? Yeah, I mean, I, I've got a lot of Jerome Ford for sure, uh, just given, you know, we've, we've had, we have evidence of, you know, Nick Chubb not even seeing, you know, I, I don't mind Chubb either. I mean, I kind of do with, with the rise in ADP, but, um, you know, I'm still, still, I'm drafting him. Uh, but we've had, we have evidence of Chubb not seeing his standard workload or, or seeing an uptick in workload, I should say, when Kareem Hunt's been sidelined in the past. And so uh, look at the depth chart, you know, Jerome Ford's there. That's really the basis of the, of the argument with Ford as a late round dart uh, that he could still see some some work, maybe have some flex appeal, and then uh, you know if anything happens to Chubb, obviously he has the the upside of like the the what we saw with like Dearness Johnson and stuff uh, in the past within that offense. Um, you know, Jaden Reed, I'm incredibly high on as a as a prospect and as a player. Uh, I, I I need to be drafting a little bit more Romeo Dobbs than I have, and I think my my rank with him might change a little bit saw him on the previous slide of him of me being pretty below but you know I can I can understand the argument for Dobbs I just I don't see the upside with Dobbs as much as I do with Reed I've done a lot of research too with rookie wideouts especially in the late rounds they do really really well in terms of uh sort of flipping their their seasons around during the second half of the year um and Reed just seems positioned to be one of those guys this year you know one of those like not to say he's going to be like Amon Ross St. Brown in the way that he thrived sort of in the slot down the stretch for Detroit uh, you know, a couple of years ago, but uh, it's not a big depth chart to really overcome. He's going to have a slot role more than likely right away to start the season. So you can get some production. I, I don't right really away. see any way he doesn't. Right, like, right. I mean, who else is going to be there to, and unless well, they go Samari, super, super Torre, heavy. Yeah. yeah. My only, my only concern is it would, would be if they go super, super heavy 12, but if they go yeah. 12 personnel, they're going to be using rookie tight ends then. So it's like, right. All right. Well, that's, I mean, there. I, I guess that's the argument, but but it's not like you're getting experience there if you're going 12 instead of going with the, their 11 personnel. So yeah, I think Jaden Reed. You know, I liked him a lot as a prospect, and then I, I think his landing spot was was pretty solid. Uh, Khalil Shakir is more just a, a play on the offense and the potential slot role. Both Jaden Reed and Khalil Shakir are two of my highest rostered late round darts this year. Um, Shakir, I liked a lot as a prospect. I'm going to say this, and people are going to go nuts and be mad at me, but one of his comps in my model. Not his top comp, but one of them was Cooper Cup. Um, he just had a very, very uh, strong production profile in college. Didn't go to a massive school. Um, you know, obviously didn't do much his rookie season, whereas Cooper Cup did. Uh, so I'm not I'm certainly not comping him there. But it just gives you an example of of that Shakir at least is not some dud as a prospect. Uh, he, he had some good marks to his profile. And there's a slot role that he could hypothetically take. I know Dalton Kincaid's there, and they're going to – mix things up more than likely in the slot, but there's also a chance that 
he plays on the outside and the perimeter a little bit over over Gabe Davis at times. So uh, I, I do like Shakir just given the offensive environment, and the player that he is. Um, but him and him and Jaden Reed are two of the guys on this list that that I've been going after a lot. My concern with Shakir is more about that they we might see some Deontay Hardy, we might see some Trent Sherfield. Because Hardy, how about how about this? Well, this is my last thing to add. Deontay Hardy is the second highest paid Bills wide receiver this year. He got paid yeah. money. I understand all that. When yeah. Hines went yeah. down, they they talked about him maybe taking over like some of the gadgety stuff they were going to do with Hines, and he's a kick returner, so I think he's active game day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't kick, kicks and punts. I, I think I Shakir think that... is great, and re, especially in redraft, where if he fails, you can cut him. I think Shakir is yes. like an awesome, exactly. an awesome. Right. I, I, yeah. I agree. I still think, but here, I, I mean, I don't think Khalil Shakir's like job is in jeopardy or anything on the squad no. right now. They've they've seemed to be. No, yeah relatively high on him as a talent throughout you know and, and the other thing with the, the i feel similarly to the chiefs and this is more subjective but i feel like the bills and chiefs are both teams that might slow play their their wide receiver talent a little bit as we saw with gabe davis and so um that's another reason why you know shakir maybe not getting as much run as we expected year one is just more of a team philosophy thing mm-hmm. uh you know more than anything else so i just am betting on from a talent perspective i think he is the most talented you know hypothetical slot number three guy on that team and i mean to that rookie philosophy you know point the guy that really would concern you here is dalton kincaid playing sort of slot wide receiver we we Um, don't have we don't have another hour to dedicate to the kincaid discourse but but i do you know if you're they're not gonna pass out of 12 is their primary pass set they're just not there aren't maybe 25 percent of the time which would be high for the NFL right now, but they're not going to, it's not going to a third of the time would be like, like a pretty big, uh, they would have a pretty big distance between them and number two, if they were to do that. So Kincaid, I think his path really goes through Knox to being like a league winner. The point is there's going to be, there are going to be slot snaps for a wide receiver in this offense, even if Kincaid's really good. Yeah. Final thing I'll add, if like if Diggs or Davis were to go down, I would pencil in Shakir as the favorite in two wide receiver sets over Hardy. Hardy, Hardy does not really profile right. as a guy that's going to do that. He's much more of a gimmicky slot guy. So I think you have that out with Shakir, too, where um, he could he could do that. Um, obviously, I think it, it does require an injury, but it's at least possible uh, given the depth chart there in Buffalo. All right. Um, that. That was awesome stuff, guys. Um, again, definitely check out JJ's um, draft guide. You know, we touched on a tiny bit of it here, but I I was checking out this morning. What is it like three hundred pages, yeah, JJ, like or over two hundred? Yeah, it's like two hundred and twenty pages or something like that. I think. Yeah, there's an insane amount of info in there, um, and not just like player takes and stuff. There is some of that, which is great, but just like. Um, more like overall strategy things on how to identify breakouts, um, you know, sort of a more data-backed approach to looking at fantasy, which I think a lot of our um, our listeners will enjoy. So definitely recommend checking that out. JJ, anything else um, you, you've got going on uh, that you want to tell our listeners about? No, just the draft guide. You know, I have the late round podcast too that I do each week. Um, but yeah, you can find everything over on lateround.com. Awesome. Pat, anything coming up? Legendary upside? I'm working on a tight end article, hoping to have out this week. Um, kind of going through Mark Andrews, some of the stuff Mark Andrews does well, but uh, it's easy just to write about the entire position that way because he does everything well. 
There we so. go. Davis, anything on your end? Got a cool take cast coming out this week. Uh, people will, will like it. They like the episodes where we talk to people from the DFS world and uh, Sports Grid Fantasy Football Podcast and every day on Sports Grid TV. You guys can watch it for free on the website or if you've got a, I don't know, if you're in an airport bar, it's always on. People, people send me pictures like, why are you on my TV right now? <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Well, we'll be back uh, next week with ADP chasing uh, to figure out which uh, running back is going to be holding out next. See you guys. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a house. It's your home, the place that's filled with memories. The early days of figuring it out to the later years of still figuring it out. For the place you've put down roots, trust Amica Home Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy.